in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, I thank you. Praise you, God. I thank you, Lord. You are great, glorious. Praise you, God, who you are. Thank you that you're our Father. Praise you, God, for your presence among us. Pray that you'd bless this morning. Help us, God, to minister your word, to be a blessing to your people. God, I pray that your name would be honored and glorified this service, God, throughout this meeting, Lord, and we exalt you and glorify you and honor you, Lord. Oh, God, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. We ask it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You may be seated. If I could talk as fast as Brother Zane would be through in about 15 minutes. <laughs> I can't think as fast as he can talk. <laughs> Takes all kinds with the world to go around on it. <clears throat> I'd like to preach this morning for a few minutes on praying for the honor of God. My text contains this model prayer I spoke to you about yesterday morning that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And in this prayer, Jesus included general petitions that guide us in praying effective prayers. We're to use the Lord's Prayer as a guideline, a skeleton prayer, in which we provide the details to the general petitions. We're not required to use every petition in this prayer every time we pray. Sometimes our prayers are limited in scope, but our prayers are to always include the elements, some element of the Lord's Prayer. And I think it's important to note that the Lord's Prayer begins with a focus on the interest of God. It begins dealing with Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. So that in our praying, our primary interest is God's name, God's kingdom, and God's uh, will. It is the love of the disciple for the Lord that motivates him to be more interested in what pleases God in God's interest and his own needs, really. You know, we don't address our needs until we get through talking about the interest of God. And I want to focus on the first petition in this prayer, Hallowed be thy name. 
This petition is an appeal to God to glorify himself in the minds and affections of men. This petition has been translated like this by others. May thy name be held holy. Thy name be revered. May your name be honored. And I want to present my message this morning in three parts. I want to talk to you about our priority, which is His name. And our practice is to honor His name. And our purpose is to make His name known. Our priority, first of all, is His name. Prayer begins with the honor of God's name. Our priority is not our needs, but His name. All of our petitions, understand this, that all of our petitions are limited by this priority. The honor of the name of God limits our praying. In the beginning, in beginning with this appeal for God's honor, we eliminate any petition that's not motivated by that same desire to honor the name of God. It purifies our prayers from mere selfish interest. You remember James rebuking his scattered parishioners in James chapter 4 and verse 3. He said, Ye ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. That is, they were praying with a wrong motive, intending to enhance their own personal pleasure rather than to enhance kingdom usefulness. And I fear that much praying in our pleasure-crazed culture is of that variety. Praying can deteriorate from being about God's glory to being about my reputation, my comfort, my enrichment without regard for what would honor God. So this first petition that we honor the Lord, hallow His name, it limits our petitions to those things that are consistent with the honor of God's name. This petition rules out prayer from those who could care less about the honor of God's name. You know, there are people that want God to be their genie in the bottle, that they can just summon when they have an emergency or when their idea of personal pleasure and luxury is bigger than their bank account. And for some people, God is the one that guarantees the realization of the American dream of climbing the ladder of bigger paychecks, of a better job, of a bigger home, of a finer car, more leisure time, and access to more pleasure than time permits us to enjoy. The Christian life really is one of self-denial for the Lord's sake. All the disciples of Jesus practice self-denial, or they're not disciples of Jesus. And such an attitude as I just described to you is foreign to the thinking of the disciple of Jesus. They know that self-denial is part of our life as a Christian. But self-denial is foreign to the attitude and thinking of the world. 
The attitude that promotes the glory and honor of God is repugnant to the person who's enamored with self and with sensuality. Self-denial is repugnant to those people. I read of the young girl that had been raised in a small religious town where the only youth activity on Sunday evenings was the Methodist Youth Fellowship or the Baptist Training Union. So after being at her university for a few months, she decided that pagans were not miserable and desperately begging for the gospel as she had been taught. In fact, she counted them happier than herself. And she declared, if the kids in our town ever spent one Sunday night at Billy Joe's dance hall, they'd never go back to the Methodist Youth Fellowship or the Baptist Training Union. You understand that to the world, time spent in Bible study and prayer seems mighty tame compared to the wild atmosphere of the nightclub with its strobe lights, its pounding music, its sexually suggestive attire, and sensual dance moves. Now I say this with some sorrow, but it seems like to me that the church of our day has sought to be relevant instead of reverent and has tried to duplicate the nightclub atmosphere complete with the sexually suggestive attire and sensual dance moves. I'm telling you, it would be hard to pray the Lord's Prayer in such an atmosphere and say, Hallowed be thy name. I read of a big redneck guy who was enraged by the religious talk of some preachers in the restaurant. So he berated them, he cursed them, and he assured them, he said, if you ever had one snort of cocaine, you'd never mention Jesus again. So both this young college girl and this rough redneck guy were stating the mindset of the world. They believe that their way of life is superior to that of the Christian. And this is really what keeps them out of church and out of the altar. In their frame of mind, they could not honestly pray, Hallowed be thy name. A person who has personal happiness as life's goal will not have the glory of God as a priority in their life. I want to talk to you about our practice to honor the name of God. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are committing ourselves to honor the Lord by our walk and by our witness. But if our practice is inconsistent with our petition, you know, we're praying, hallowed be thy name. But if our life is inconsistent with that petition, then we are no better than the hypocrites that Jesus talked about earlier in this chapter. And if we are behaving in such a way that we bring dishonor to the name of the Lord, then our prayer is just empty words. 
Paul rebukes the Jewish people in Romans chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. He says to them, the, Thou that makest thy boast to the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. And I think that this is the greatest fear of a child of God that we would bring dishonor to the name of God. Love for God, it's what motivates us to avoid any practice or make any plans that would cause somebody to get a wrong or negative impression of God from our life. We want to honor God with our life and bring honor to His name. In his writings, Paul mentions two scenarios that would bring dishonor to God. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1, he exhorts servants like this. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And then in Titus chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, in other words, the young women are to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. In both cases, the problem that brings dishonor to God and to His word involves insubordination to lawful authority, a rebellious attitude toward those over us at work or at home or at church resembles very closely the attitude that got Satan cast out of heaven and headed for the fires of hell. The reputation of the Lord should be our greatest concern. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I say the reputation of the Lord should be our greatest concern. We want to live right for more than just the opportunity of going to heaven. We want to bring glory to God. You remember Paul exhorting the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 31? He said, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. It's our concern for the honor of the Lord that motivates our intercession for sinners. We are burdened for them even when they are content in their Christless life. They may be happy and prosperous in their life of disobedience. But listen, as the children of God, we're concerned, you know, because we know that they are taking advantage of the benefits granted to them by God and calling God from their life at the same time. They're dishonoring God, breaking His commandments, rejecting His fellowship and His friendship, and refusing His offer of pardon and abundant life through Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that the gospel, listen to me, the gospel is relevant even to sinners who are enjoying life without Christ. Because the gospel promises something that they don't have. It promises righteousness. It promises divine fellowship and favor. It promises meaning and purpose in life. 
and it promises eternal bliss beyond this life and in the presence of Christ. Ray Comfort, some of you probably know that name. He testified that prior to his conversion, he was very happy, satisfied, thankful, and joyful. He had a successful business. He owned his own home. He had a beautiful wife, a car, money in the bank, and only 20 years old. He said he was loving life and living it to the fullest. But it was at this wonderful, successful stage in life that he was confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he heard the truth that riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And in hearing the word of God, he saw his need of a savior and surrendered his life to Jesus. And now then serves as an evangelist and a Christian apologist. Salvation, brother, changes us from a self-centered life to a life that's lived for the honor and glory of the Lord. And this is really the burden of our heart for our loved ones that are lost. Even if they prosper materially and socially in this world, they are not fulfilling their God-ordained purpose in life. And we, the redeemed saints around the throne of God in heaven, they worship the Lord in Revelation 4 and 11. And listen to what they say. They say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. And I might pause right here and say that everybody in heaven believes in creation. Nobody in heaven believes in evolution. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Oh, hallelujah. That's why we are here, brother and sister. We've been created to bring pleasure to God, to, to please Him. And really, the fulfillment of your life is dependent upon you fulfilling this purpose of glorifying God in your life. That's where we find our fulfillment. In glorifying the Lord. The fa this fact adds urgency to our prayers for the lost. When I was young, I used to hear the saints pray this consistently. Lord, I want you to save my loved ones before it's everlasting too late. And I prayed like that too until the Lord rebuked me and said it's not my purpose to save people just before they die. It's my purpose to save people to live for my glory. Not just to die and go to heaven, but to live for the glory of God. So I changed my prayer. And I said, God, I want you to save my loved ones. Not just before they die, but today. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. And Lord, I want you to save them this very day. I'm telling you, brother, we got to get it, got to get it right when we're praying for our loved ones. We don't want it down the road somewhere. We want them saved right now, today. We want them saved today. We want God to bring them in today. 
They're dishonoring God by their life. This is the most serious thing, brother, is they're dishonoring God by the way they're living. They're, they're shoving to the sidelines of life the one that loved them so good that he gave his life on Calvary. They're dishonoring the Lord by their life. A sincere prayer for God to honor his name is backed up by our attempts to give him honor through our testimony and by our worship of God. The attitude that's expressed by this petition is going to show up in our church services, in our conscious and conscientious and fervent worship of God. We sing unto the Lord in our congregation. I don't know, I hadn't really paid attention here, but uh, some years ago, I... Uh, we were having a special meeting, had a special evangelist there, and I was calling people to come, come sing for us. The evangelist got up and said, we don't sing for us, we sing for the Lord. <laughs> now, I'm going to give a little different slant on that. We do sing primarily unto the Lord, but we also sing for the benefit of us, Right? <laughs> because we're ministering to us in the name of the Lord. But really, this is our priority, isn't it? We want to glorify the Lord. We sing for the Lord. We sing for the Lord. We, we preach for the Lord. You know, there have been times before I got in the pulpit, I said, Lord, I'm offering this message to you first. I want this to glorify you. I want it to honor you. We testify to magnify the name of the Lord. And really when we're seeking to be saved or sanctified or filled with the Holy Ghost, it's not just so we feel good. It's so that we can honor the name of the Lord with our life. We want to better honor Him and glorify God. And all the experiences that we receive at the altar are meant to help us to enhance our testimony and our witness for Jesus Christ. The attitude that motivates this petition will transform our family life. When the honor and glory of God is our purpose in life, then we don't allow anything in our home that contradicts that purpose. So Hollywood is not allowed to bring mixed drinks into our living room, nor to practice their sinful, adulterous relationships in front of us or in front of our family. And since the honor of the Lord's name is our purpose in life, we do not allow Hollywood to pollute our home with their profanity or their dirty jokes. The third commandment protects the name of the Lord from those who would profane and dishonor it. The Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I'm telling you, brother, that the judgment of God will be terror-filled for those people who refuse to show reverence toward God at home, on the job, at church, and in their hearts. We, this is where it's got to start, in our hearts. We reverence the Lord. We hallow His name. The Christian is to be committed to the honor of the name of the Lord. 
Our purpose is to make his name known. The Christian is really not content that there are people who don't know the name of the Lord and don't know to honor his name. They don't worship him. And so this phrase, this, uh, this petition, hallowed be thy name, is conditioned by this phrase, in earth as it is in heaven. That phrase uh, modifies all three of the first petitions. Hallowed be thy name in earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So when we're praying, hallowed be thy name, we are praying, Lord, hallow your name in earth as it is in heaven. It's the will of God that his name be hallowed and reverenced in the earth just as it is around the throne in heaven, brother. This petition has a missionary purpose. We are praying that all men would know and worship God, honor the name of the Lord in earth as it is in heaven. So this petition has a missionary purpose. The book of Psalms contains petitions that all the nations of the world would know and honor God. In Psalm chapter 67, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist prays, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. In Psalms 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. It contains a call to all nations to worship God. It says, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. And I know that you're familiar with Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Not just Israel. God's concerned about more than just Israel. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. And again, in Psalm chapter 150, there's a call for universal praise and worship. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. This is God's purpose that his name be honored throughout the earth, throughout the whole world. And this is our purpose, brother. We want people to know him and honor him and worship him. The missionary enterprise is dear to our hearts. And, and it's not only due to the terrible fate of the lost, but it's primarily due to the dishonor being done to the name of the Lord in the earth. Amen. We pray for the honor of our Lord. Hallowed be thy name. And we are willing to commit our resources to the spread of the knowledge of God around the world. In the book of Revelation, while God's judgments are rocking the earth, the saints that endured the beastly reign of the Antichrist sing the song of Moses while standing on the sea of glass. They say, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, 
for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. The scientists and the secularists think that we are progressing toward a world that has outgrown the superstition of religious belief. But they are mistaken. When God finishes his work of judgment in this earth, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11, where the Lord declared, For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down thereof, that my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Hallelujah. This is our purpose, brother, that the name of God be glorified throughout the whole world, that men know him and reverence him and glorify him and worship him. I wonder how well we're doing. Hallow in the name of the Lord. How important is it to us that the name of the Lord be hallowed in the earth as it is in heaven. The Lord rebuked the high priest Eli because he honored his sons above the Lord. God said to him, for them that honor me, I will honor. And them that despise me, shall be lightly esteemed. Now listen, in other words, your attitude toward the Lord will be reflected back in your life. You honor the Lord, the Lord says, I'll honor you. You dishonor God, despise Him, He said they'll be lightly esteemed. So the attitude that you show toward the Lord is reflected back in your own life. The divine favor of God is conditioned upon respect and reverence for the name of the Lord. Listen to me now. When Moses flared up in anger at the children of Israel, smote the rock twice, instead of speaking to the rock as God had said, God barred him from the land of Canaan. And he did it because he failed to sanctify the Lord before the children of Israel. And we would have, we'd be prone to excuse Moses' anger at these people because of all he had endured for 40 years of wilderness wandering at the hands of these people. But there is no excuse. Y'all listening to me now? There is no excuse for dishonoring the name of the Lord. The Lord takes seriously how we represent Him before men. You remember afterward that Moses pleaded in vain to God to change his mind. And in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, it says, I pray thee, to Moses talking, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that's beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. 
But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice thee, speak no more to me of this matter. The Lord was wroth with Moses for the sake of Israel. He failed to sanctify the name of the Lord before the people of God and set a dangerous example before these people who were prone to disobedience. He disobeyed God before people who were prone to disobedience. Concern for the honor of God's name, brother, will put a governor on our tongues, put a cap on our anger, because we want people to have an accurate assessment of the greatness and goodness of God. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're not doing this for our glory. It is our purpose that people glorify the name of the Lord because of how we've lived and how we've conducted ourselves. The primary purpose of our life is that someone will have a good impression of God by what they've seen in our life. Watch over one another's souls, children. In your home, your family, let's honor the name of the Lord. I'll tell this for the glory of God. One of the biggest crises in my life, we, I got a phone call from someone taunting me on the phone. I felt the anger rising. I wanted to speak my mind. My wife saw me. She saw what was happening to me. She came to me, I've got the phone, I'm just about ready to express my mind to this individual. She said, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. I didn't say it. Because my wife saw I was about to speak in a way that would dishonor the Lord. She said, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Come on now. Shh. Y'all, I love this scripture. I love this scripture. Psalm chapter 9 and verse 10 says, They that know thy name will put their trust in you. <laughs> they that know thy name, they that know how wonderful you are, they that know how great you are, They'll put their trust in you. And this really is what we want, isn't it? We want the world to know how great he is, how wonderful he is, that they'll put their trust in the Lord. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. We pray for God to hallow his name. We live to hallow his name. And we labor to spread the honor of the name of God. If we do it right, souls will be affected by the knowledge of God, and they'll put their trust in Him. Yes. I'll tell you what, brother, I, when, when, when life is over with and I stand before the Lord, I'd sure like for there to be some souls there that say, I'm here because of you. I'm here because of your life. I'm here because of your testimony. I'm here because of what you told me about Jesus. 
I want somebody to be there at the day of judgment and say, I'm here because of you. Amen.